Hey, it's Pastor Nick from Grace River Church, and I want to thank you for joining us today. I hope you find today's message encouraging and transformative in your life. We'd love for you to join us online each Sunday morning at 10 a.m. by visiting graceriverva.com slash live. Now, enjoy the message. Okay, fun is over. All right, so uh, I asked them, we're going to do communion uh, at the end of the message, so I asked them to bring it up. We, we don't have a lot of ushers available, so um, uh, just kind of anticipate that there's going to be some movement at the end. You're going to need to come forward and uh, get the elements. So uh, if you can kind of look at the sight lines here, who you got to push out of the way, uh, push the old people. Uh, to the <laughs> just kidding. Uh, just uh, just so you can anticipate that that's going to happen at the end. I was just sitting there thinking how serious I want to be. So uh, we're in our third week of a series in Jude. Uh, we're going to read through the entire epistle as we've been doing. Uh, we're going to do a little bit of a review, and then we're going to start again. There are three truths that come out in this passage, in this letter. Okay? The first truth is that there is deception. There's deception, and, and we actually own some of that deception. Okay? We, we can point fingers and say, oh, you know, this author or this person. We own some of this deception, and I'll explain that to you in a little bit. Okay? Uh, so that's the first point. The second point is that there is judgment. Uh, we have, uh, in our mind, we've read it. Uh, we kind of live in two worlds where... The world we live in says, okay, I know there's judgment, but I'm not really cognizant of it. I'm separating that out. But it's a, it's a reality. Christ talked about it. Many others of the apostles, as we'll see in the passages today, talked about it. It is an undeniable reality. And those that do not know Jesus Christ are going to uh, be separated for eternal damnation. And, and it's hard for us to say. We don't like saying it. We want everybody to like us, right? I still have that problem. I'm 65, and I still want 18-year-olds to like me, uh, and that's a problem. But uh, we, we have to accept the fact that there is judgment that is coming, and those people that do not know Jesus Christ will end up uh, being held accountable for their lack of commitment to Jesus Christ. Uh, but the third reality is that there is mercy, and we're going to look at the passage in uh, Jude today where he talks about mercy. And, and according to Jude's letter, we have a great responsibility uh, and a great opportunity in extending God's mercy. So let's uh, read through the passage, and then we'll pray. We're reading through the uh, epistle of Jude. Uh, there are Bibles on the back of your seat, or you may have a Bible uh, in your hand in your, on your phone. Let's read through the entire um, portion. It's 25 verses. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were designated for this condemnation. 
ungodly people who pervert the grace of God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. Now I want you to, to I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains until gloomy, under gloomy darkness, until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, and they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain, and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. These are hidden reefs at your love feast, as they feast with you without fear, shepherds feeding themselves, waterless clouds swept along by winds, fruitless trees in late autumn, twice dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea, casting up the foam of their own shame, wandering stars, for whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever." It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires, they are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of, our Lord, of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is those who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by, by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. We humbly come before you, great God of the universe, to still our hearts, to be able to hear from you, that your spirit would speak, God, only want to say those things that your spirit would influence me to say. 
you would forgive us for our past dalliances and distractions and help us to hone in and focus on what your spirit would have us to know. God, we run to you as the prodigal God who received back a son who had turned aside. God, we repent of our of our waywardness, of our distractions, of the things that cause us to think that we are okay in and of ourselves. We are not. We are lost, separated from you. We cannot do any of this on our own, but only by the mercy of God, in view of your mercy, Paul wrote, we can come before you and give our lives as a living sacrifice. Oh God, oh great God, show kindness to us today as we grasp your word. Help us to be able to apply this and God, burden our hearts for those who don't know you or those who've been deceived. Bless this time, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are going to do a slight review. And if you look at the outline of Jude, traditionally, the verses 1 to 4 is one passage. Uh, 5 through 16 is another. 17 through 25. Some people go to 23. Uh, we ended at verse 13 last time, so we're going to do a review of that, and then we hope to get through verses 14 to 23. We will get through verses 14 through 23. So next week, only two verses. That's good, right? So it'll only be about two hours next week, um, because I'm really going to come back at you here. Um, no, uh, we're not going to do that. So let's look at, um, let's take a look at this. Uh, just kind of skim through these, Don, all right? Uh, where his purpose for writing, remember, he was writing to say, uh, I really wanted to write about our common salvation. Again, who is Jude? Half-brother of Jesus Christ. One of those who spoke ill of his brother, taunted him. John, verse, uh, John chapter 7, we see that. Uh, Mark chapter 3, where he uh, and his family went uh, when Jesus was preaching and said he's crazy, he's lost his mind. Uh, ultimately, we find him in the upper room in Acts chapter 1. Uh, we also see in 1 Corinthians 9, I think it was, that he apparently is traveling and spreading the gospel. So we can only imagine that he writes this letter to a group of people, perhaps that he's evangelized, uh, and this letter becomes uh, important for us and canonical. And we'll see there's some other things that are not part of the scripture that he includes that are common knowledge back then. But he, he wants to write in, in joy and anticipation, but something uh, become, makes him aware that there's a problem. The Holy Spirit reminds him of that. So I, he writes to us, and he appeals to us, urges us to contend for the faith. This is not a lesson that we should say, well, that's really nice. Hey, have a great day. But if he is writing to us, and the Spirit has included this in the canon, why is he saying this? What should we be aware of? So let's go on. Um, contend to agonize. Certain people have crept in. You can do that one. Go verse 4. That's fine. Certain people have crept in unnoticed who were long ago designated uh, for this condemnation. We'll look at that when we get to the prophecy of Enoch. Okay, keep going. They're ungodly people, uh, secretly brought in. They pervert the grace of God. It is by grace you are saved through faith. Okay? Uh, here's the first truth. Uh, the deception that we have accepted is that there are a lot of good people in this world. Right? There are a lot of good people. Firemen who run into buildings to save young children, well, they're good people, right? Of course they're good people. They've learned uh, to do something very heroic. Most 
of us would never even consider doing that. Policemen, service members, there are good people all around us. There's one problem with that, okay? That it doesn't matter how good you are. Our righteousness is as filthy rags. Come on, come on, tune into that. This is so, so important, okay? We have allowed people's perceived goodness, their role to, to cause us not to be so forward-thinking or speaking, uh, sharing with them the truth, that they are lost and separated from God forever. None of us deserve this, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know those proof texts, right, from Romans chapter 3. So it doesn't matter how good a person is. And I know, I look in the mirror every day, I know exactly who's on the other side of that, okay? Uh, we pervert the grace of God when we allow people to think that there's another way. Amen, right? Hello, we don't like to hear that. If you think there's an alternative to Jesus Christ, you haven't read John 14, 6. You haven't looked at Acts chapter 2 where Peter says, there is no other name under heaven by which men may be saved. If we believe that, that should cause a radical change in our approach in dealing with people. People are lost, separated from God. I'm no better. I'm no better. And, 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 and you feel bad when you look at others and you say, well, you need to know this. Uh, but I have found out by God's grace, he gave me that opportunity. Uh, we have allowed it to become something that we accept um, through fleshly means. We can trace this back to the Gnostics who were able to say, in my mind, I'm spiritual, but my body can operate. It's separate. Uh, um, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, glorify God in your body. Jesus died in his body. He didn't die in his mind. He gave his life, his body, as a sacrifice that God needed to receive, that, that acceptable sacrifice, okay? And they deny our master. So most people would not openly deny Jesus Christ. They would acknowledge him. Oh, yeah, I know who Jesus is. But remember, we talked last week, 60% of young adults, Christian young adults between 18 and 38, believe Jesus, Muhammad, and a bunch of other guys, there's not one way. There is only one way. There is only one way. So anyone who says that, see, here's the thing. We wouldn't challenge them if they say that. We basically, oh, you know, that's really none of my business. You know what? Is it your business that people are going to die and go to hell? <laughs> Is it your business that God saved you and allowed you to hear the, the truth? I'm grateful that he did that for me. I didn't want to accept that. I said, no, there's got to be. That can't be right. I'm a really good Roman Catholic at, at that particular time. Again, nothing against. There are a lot of Roman Catholics who are Christian people. So let's keep going so we don't get hung up here. I don't. So he wants to remind us. So he goes through and he starts showing that God judged people who knew truth. They knew the truth, okay? Um, the Israelites knew truth. They trusted God across the wilderness, but when it came to going to the promised land, they said, no, can't do it. We're going back. God judged them. The angels who were in a role, that somehow it's hard to imagine this, they had the freedom to be able to step out of that role and, and forsake that holy position that God had put them in. He had... Uh, put them in chains, okay? They left the proper dwelling. And, of course, we look at Sodom and Gomorrah, but the history of Sodom and Gomorrah is not that one episode of Lot being taken out of there. We saw in Genesis 13, it is seen as an unrighteous city, okay? 
but every city in America is an unrighteous city, okay? Even Springfield, Missouri, the headquarters of the Assemblies of God is an unrighteous city. And whatever, Cleveland, Tennessee, the headquarters of the Church of God, it's still an unrighteous city, okay? Keep going, okay? So now, in like manner, these dreamers, and these are people who live by dreams, okay? They have the Word of God, but somehow they add to it through their dreaming, through some revelation that they receive, they defile their flesh, they reject authority, and they blaspheme. We talked about this last week. Uh, uh, somehow thinking that we have some authority that we can just call down angels and bind the devil and all those kind of things. And that seems like fun, but it's really blaspheming uh, the glorious ones. Let's keep going. Uh, they blaspheme all that they do not understand. Destroyed that all they like unreasoning amps. You understand, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more today, that it's only by the Spirit of God that we can know Jesus Christ. It's only really by the Spirit of God that we know what to pray. He helps us in our weaknesses. And Jude says, when he says praying in the Spirit, he's saying allow the Spirit of God to pray. Don't just talk. Go to Matthew 6. Jesus says they like to stand on street corners just talking. They love to pray in those special places, right? Blah, 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 blah. I'm spiritual, so I'm going to pray, of course, okay? But you in your closet, in that quiet place, beating your breath, saying, oh, God, I am an unworthy sinner. God, please teach me to pray. What did the apostle say? Is it Luke 11, Mark 11? Lord, teach us to pray. I, You know, I've just been, this year, just been focusing. Before I pray, I always... Pause. You'll notice many times, try not to launch into it. I try and just pause my heart to remember to whom I am praying and say, God, teach me to pray. Help me to pray. Help me to pray like you are the only audience that is listening. There's a great song, uh, David Crowder. It's just you and me here and now. Only you and me here and now. When you pray, do you think about to whom you are praying. This holy, sovereign God of the universe. That should be, that should scare us in even the things that come out of our mouth. And we'll see that. Keep going. So, woe to them. And we talked about this. This is a corrupted worship. Through our own convenience, through us transacting with God. God, I'll do this if you do that. And through this universalist approach, meaning we're all holy. There's a lot of ways to God. I've got this. Okay, keep going. Is that where we finished? So they're hypocrites. So this is where we ended last week. This is how he describes them. Fruitless trees. By their own actions, there is reserved for them the blackness of darkness. But there's hope. There's hope for them because it's just the same hope for us. There's mercy. God has allowed us, and we'll see that in the passage this week. Now, let's go to the next one. Very interesting, okay? Uh, as we start this next section, I found these articles. Renouncing faith, renouncing faith, renouncing faith. So the question is, were they saved, and did they turn away from their faith, or were they ever really saved at all? It's really a theological question. Pastor John is going to address that in two weeks uh, when I'm finally done here. Um, there's quite a debate in the church. If you read 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 20 to 22, I know the Assemblies of God 
believes that once you have known, it says having known and then turned aside, um, it's going to be worse for them than it was at the first. And then he quotes the proverb, a dog returns to its vomit, which is one of the more disgusting things that dogs do, um, cleaning up after themselves. So some people would say, and Jude, I think, is of that group, that we are kept by God. Jesus cannot lose anything out of his hand. He wouldn't give that up. Uh, some people might say, having known, you can turn away. I'll let you settle that theological argument here. I can just say that prominent, listen, if you want to turn away from the faith, that's your problem. You don't need to have an article in USA Today or something like that and say, yeah, I've turned away and I'm really proud of it. Okay? It's probably not a good thing those folks, and we should pray for these folks. Uh, there was actually, an I didn't include, uh, many people know John Piper, he's a, uh, been a pastor, uh, I think he's emeritus uh, pastor now at the Bethel Bethlehem Church in Minnesota. His son uh, goes around the country uh, and taunts uh, evangelicals, tries to get people to turn away. Apparently his son uh, does not follow after after God and, and uh, mocks those people who do. So we should pray for the Piper family and for their lost son that he might come back to them and, and that uh, in their heart of hearts they'd be able to forgive the child because uh, it's a hard thing when you are living a life where you're proclaiming the gospel. And you're not perfect. John Piper is not perfect. Uh, but then your own children turn against um, your beliefs. So let's keep going in Jude, all right? So let's read this passage. Let me get to this so I don't have to keep turning my shoulder here. It was about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all, on some, no, on all, and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, malcontents, following their own sinful desires. They are loudmouth boasters, showing favoritism to gain advantage. This is probably a lot for one slide, but let's keep going. So he has already looked at the past to warn us. He's already looked at the present and the characters of the, God, of the false teachers, and now he's looking to the future to remind us, and he'll say this in verse 17, it's been prophesied that these folks are coming, but also there is certain judgment for the ungodly. Next slide. It was about these false teachers that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied. Now hold on a second. Enoch. Who is Enoch? You all remember Enoch? There are actually, you remember? That's good. Uh, there are actually two Enochs that are mentioned in Genesis. One is the son of Cain. Uh, is an Enoch. He's not the one. Uh, but then there's another Enoch who is in seventh generation after Adam. Okay, And it's interesting about Enoch. Uh, Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Okay, So wouldn't that be a great testimony for any of us, that we walk so closely with God that at some point he just took us? I wonder if we'd have time to leave a note. Hi, honey. Went to be with God. <laughs> See you in a few thousand years. Yeah. 
make sure you repent of all your sin. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. She would probably go before I would. As a matter of fact, when the rapture comes, the first person I'm calling is Deb. Um, <laughs> because if she's gone, I know I'm in trouble. So, so here's what's very interesting. So we've identified who Enoch is, right? Um, the thing is, Enoch was able to prophesy. I think, uh, go to the next slide, okay? Uh, there is a book of First Enoch. It actually exists today. You can find uh, about a third of it still available in a Greek uh, text today. Uh, it's not canonical. Do you understand what I mean by not canonical, some of you? It means it's not included in the canon of the Bible that we have. It's not, a, it's not even included in a Catholic Bible, which has an intertestamental um, section called the, the Apocrypha, um, because it's kind of a collection of truths and fables, and uh, so there's there's some uh, true um, content in it, but not enough to where they would consider to include it in the Scripture of Scripture. And yet it was apparently prevalent and aware uh, to Jude when he was writing in that particular time. Uh, we see throughout the Scripture examples of um, in the Bible of extra-biblical text or, or um, thinking that's included. When Paul says, uh, he quotes from a pagan philosopher, or um, uh, in 2 Timothy, Paul comes up and he names Janus and Jambres as the priests that opposed Moses. This is not included in any writings. It's not included in Genesis. So how does Paul know this? Um, is it supernatural, or were there some additional, um, uh, were there, um, you know, something passed down from other people um, like like that? So uh, apparently, first Enoch, uh, they managed to carry this oral tradition. Remember, there was a flood, right? Enoch was there, and then Noah, and then everything was gone except eight people. So somehow, those traditions and this prophecy was carried forward, which is pretty remarkable. And as I said, it's still in existence, but it was apparently something at that time that Jude felt as he was writing to his audience, this is important. Uh, as part of this prophecy, as part of declaring that there would be judgment. So let's go to the next slide. Okay? And this is what Enoch said. Okay? The Lord is coming. Most people would suggest, and I looked at the original, you know, I'm not a Greek scholar. I know a little Greek. He owns a diner in Long Island, right? Uh, um, I'm not a Greek scholar. I don't even know why I'm a doctor, but that's what they gave me when I went to school enough times. They finally said, all right, get out of here. Here's your degree. Um, but um, so my understanding, when I looked at the Greek, it's, it's a coming. But many people would say when Enoch is prophesying, he's prophesying, the Lord came. So he is seeing past the judgment. That's what that means. When he prophesied that the Lord came with 10,000s of his angels, this is a sure event. It's not like, hey, it's coming, it's coming. You know, in the time of Noah, they were saying, rain, it's never rained. So, you know, so how do we know it's going to rain, right? Uh, well, Enoch is not saying the prophecy is coming. He's saying it's come. It came, and I saw the end of it. Does that make sense? So this should be even more frightening to us 
especially to us to know that there are some who are deceivers who are going to bear the penalty. He's not saying, see, the problem with judgment is it's always around the corner, okay? It's like being in Congress. You don't have to deal with anything today. You can kick that can down the road. As long as you can get it reelected every couple of years, you're good. I mean, that's what we say about them. There are very conscientious people in Congress, but they don't tend to address really hard problems. They put those hard problems off, okay? When we think about judgment, we think, well, that's then. That's far away. I don't have to worry about that. Enoch is saying, I saw the end of it. And this is what happened. He came with ten thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on the ungodly, to convict them of their deeds and all the things they have spoken. Words of your mouth. Words of their mouth. We could say them. But words of our mouth? Okay, right? Uh, we, we must be, we've been told this by our parents and and. People around us, you shouldn't say things like that. God's going to hold us accountable for things that we say. Okay? It's out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when people say things, and, and let me, I, I won't go past this. I wanted to come to this later, but let me say this. If I say something that sounds unlike the testimony that I proclaim, you should have every right to say to me, What's going on in your heart? Why is it you saying those things? I say this to my students. I, I don't think I've ever had a student in all these years come to me and say, you know, there's something in your heart because you said this to us and you act this way, but then you said something that doesn't line up. But that's what this is about. That's what this whole experience of church is supposed to be about, that we can sharpen one another so that we can help ourselves deal with these heart issues. Because we're going to be held accountable for this. Go to the next slide. okay? Because among us are tares. Okay? Within our midst, there are those who are not following the Lord. Okay? If you try and approach someone who is really sincerely desirous to follow Christ, and call them on something they said. They may be upset. They may be embarrassed. Say, I'd be embarrassed. But hopefully that would bring them to a point of repentance. And they might thank you. They might not. But hopefully that would cause them to change. But someone who blows it off, someone who just is a scoffer, do they, do they know the Lord? Next slide. Okay? This is the fruit of their lips. These are the people. Jude hasn't told us you know, hey, it's that guy who's got the big church, who's got all those books, uh, you know, the one who's on TV. He hasn't said that. Notice from the beginning, he has never said this group. We have identified groups that may have been uh, in existence around his time. There are a lot of people, as I said first week, who love to use this uh, passage. And even this week, I listened to three different, four different sermons, and it's about everybody else. Oh, those people, oh, the church, and they're all beating it up. Hey, look in your own backyard, buddy. Okay? You have problems. If you're talking about everybody else, most likely that means that you have problems here. Okay, nobody says amen to that, all right? Uh, but this is how you know there's something going on in somebody's heart. Okay? Got it? Any of these things coming out of your mouth? Grumbling? Finding fault? Loudmouth boasters? Anybody? Anybody want to volunteer? We've got an altar here. 
Okay? Flattering others. Okay? Seeking to gain advantage. The fruit of our lips, we must be careful about what comes out of our mouth. Let's keep going. Okay, so now he changes direction. In the beginning, verse 3 to 4, remember he was talking about how loved we were and, and we were called, we were beloved, and we were kept. And then he said, but certain people, these people, they are, these people, these ungodly, but now, two times in the next couple of verses, he says, but you, he goes back. And this is a hopeful turn in this letter. But you, beloved. Okay? And he's going to point out three things to us. He's going to talk about what's going on around us. He's going to talk about what's going on within us, within our midst. And then he's going to point us forward. All right? You ready for that? Let's do it. Okay? You must remember predictions of the apostles. He said it back in verse 5. I want to remind you, don't forget what you've seen. Back in verse 5, he was talking about those who knew truth and who strayed away from it. Don't forget. It can happen. Okay? Judgment is coming. Now he says, I want to remind you of the prophecies of the apostles. And we'll have a few here, but there are many, many prophecies. Jesus talked about, we saw the wheat and the tares. Jesus talked about the coming judgment. He talked about it with Pharisees. I mentioned this last week. Why would you keep going back to people who hate you? Why would you keep going back to these Pharisees who literally are trying to find a way to put you to death? Because he loved them like he loved us. Living, he loved them, right? I'm not sure. I'm not saying the, the song we just sang, right? Uh, living, he loved me. Dying, he... Whatever the verses are. I'm sorry. You can laugh at me. I'm sorry. Um, but Jesus went back to the, to the lions, to the lair, to the snake den, because he wanted to transfer. And some of them came. Joseph of Arimathea came. Um, Nicodemus came. They had hearts toward God. We don't know of many others who did. Um, but he went back to them. And these folks reminded us. Now it's about the fulfillment of prophecy. Little children. So it says in the last times. Again, people might say, oh, well, you know, the last times. When's that going to happen? John said, it's the last hour. It is the last times. It's been the last times for, for 2,000 years. But remember what Peter said. Beloved, don't, uh, let me, I'm paraphrasing, okay? Uh, a day is as a 1,000 years and a 1,000 years as one day with the Lord. So don't think it's for later. Don't think it's, oh, I have time tomorrow, right? If you had a friend and you said, oh, I should send them a letter. I should give them a call. I haven't seen them in a while, right? And then suddenly they pass away. You'd feel bad, right? You'd feel guilty. Oh, I, I, I sh oh, I wish I would have written to them or something like that, right? Okay? Don't put this idea off that I'm good, I'm safe, no problem. I can give my heart to Jesus tomorrow. Okay, keep going. Scoffers. Again, words of the mouth. They will say, where is it from? Why? There's no problem. You know? Peace, peace. Okay? Um, Last days. This is our time. People will be lovers selves of money, arrogant, abusive, heartless, unappeasing, slanderous. Again, words of their mouth. Words are the biggest, easiest indicator that there's a heart issue there. If it's happening among us, we need to address it. 
Okay, If it's happening to our friends, we can broach a subject prayerfully and say, I really want to talk to you about this. I'm hearing some things, and I'm concerned about you. But especially in the house of God, we should be encouraging one another. Keep going. It is these. These, he goes back to that idea of these people who've come in among us. They use their words to cause divisions, to make a distinction. Again, worldly people, they have not committed themselves to the Spirit of God. They've not given their hearts over, allowed the Spirit of God to continue to transform their hearts. Okay, They are devoid of the Spirit, meaning they've ruled it out. There is no breath of life of the Spirit in them. Okay, Turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. You know why? Nobody likes hellfire preaching anymore. Nobody likes it. We don't pay. Come to our church and we'll talk about how things are for you. How are things going for you? Are you doing all right? God's got a word for you today. Are you ready for that? Everything's good. Here's the word. If you don't turn, you're going to miss an opportunity that God has made for you. You're a sinner and you need to repent. And that's the word. And only by his mercy. Remember, again, we talked about Korah, okay? The universalist approach. Hey, you're not the only one, Moses. We all are holy. Moses and Aaron falling down on their faces saying, you do not understand how God has seen structure here. And 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 should should something suddenly happen to where you get swallowed up by the ground, maybe then you'll know that this was really the spirit of God. Okay, don't wait till your friends get swallowed up. Don't wait. Don't wait. Keep going. Okay, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God. Keep going. We're going to touch on this very, very briefly. Building yourselves up in your most... Now, this isn't your faith. This is the faith that we all share. Okay? Build yourselves up. Looking for the... Long for the truth of God long to be in his word, long to read about it, study it, um, inculcate it, put it into your heart. Uh, what does this mean? I really want to understand. Be troubled if it's not clear to you. God, I need you to reveal this to me. Um, keep praying. In the, again, praying in the spirit is not, it can be a language. Some of us believe in that. Um, but really, when you read this passage in Romans, it's a person who's at the end of themselves and is desperate to pray to God. And the Spirit helps us in our weakness when we don't know how to pray. God, teach me to pray. God, I want to I want to honor you with my words, with my heart. Teach me to pray. Don't just let me rattle off something that I don't fully understand. Keep yourselves in love. Abide in his love. We're going to come back to, to keeping yourselves in a, in a couple slides here. Keep going. And now, waiting for the mercy. The mercy of God. It's available to all of us, okay? Wait with expectancy. Look for the mercy. Titus, Paul wrote to Titus and said, look for the blessed hope. The mercy of God is coming to redeem and to draw away those who've committed to him. But also the mercy of God that's available to each one that they might be saved from this coming judgment. Keep going. Have mercy on those who doubt. Uh, there was one message I heard where the preacher really spent a lot of time on the mercy of God. 
Uh, I put down a couple verses. God is a merciful God. His mercies are new every morning. I, I mentioned in my prayer, I forgot one of the most significant ones, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2, in view of God's mercy. If you could just take that passage, Romans 12, 1, in view of God's mercy. A lot of times, you know, it's nice to, you know, go to a beautiful vista, you know, see the mountains and things like that. What if you step back and say, God, show me your mercy. Show me in view of your mercy. I, I don't have to see some vista. I can just see Jesus, the cross. I see the cross in the back there. It's empty. Someone took my place on God's judgment, uh, for God's judgment, and, and his mercy. That's the view right there. That's why we have an empty cross. That's the view of God's mercy. Someone paid the penalty that I owed. That's in view of God's mercy. How much should that change the direction of our thinking? We're only saved by his mercy. Keep going. Have mercy on the doubter. So I have three I've kind of categorized. There are some who are doubt. There are some who have been duped. And some others just completely deceived. I mean, they're, they're drinking the Kool-Aid. They're all the way in there. And so for some, we wanted to in much. If you're doubting, we want to come alongside. Somebody, and listen, it's, I think I said this uh, before, uh, it's natural to doubt. It's natural to say, boy, I'm just not sure about this. You, you know, you haven't fallen away. Oh, you know, does God still love me and things like that? It's natural for us to question. You pray about something and you pray and you pray and the results are different, okay? So you fall back on the mercy and, and the sovereignty of God and say, God, I... I don't know. I prayed for this person that they would be whole. Look at David, the example of David with the child that he had. Uh, God uh, judged him for having that child with Bathsheba, and he prayed and he prayed and he prayed, and the child died. And then he got up and he cleaned himself up and went to eat, and his servants were, what's up with that? And he said, well, I prayed, and God chose to do something different. Okay, but remember the next child that he had with Bathsheba, right? The next child would become the greatest king of Israel. Solomon. So um, it, God has different things in mind and why he does things. We are fortunate. Really, we should do a study of prayer. Uh, if God already knows the end he's trying to accomplish and he already has a sovereign plan, why do we even pray? God has given us this opportunity to be part of his means to the end that he has accomplished. That is just remarkable. Abraham, we talked about it last week, before the angels went to Sodom. Well, what if there's 50 righteous? What if there's 45? What if there's 40? God has given us the opportunity. He knows what he's going to do, but we can participate with him as part of his means. That's remarkable that the sovereign God who already has his plan in place allows us to come alongside and to be part of that. So we can't be disappointed if he goes in a different direction. Just the fact that we had a chance to, be, to have that burden. I love the burden for prayer. I think that's just awesome that God gives that to us. Save those. Snatch them out of the fire. Literally. Literally. If any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings them back uh, and read uh, verse 20 in that passage in James, there's rejoicing in heaven for one who is turned. Okay? So that means there's opportunity for those who've been duped to have their lives turned back around. This last one is the scariest one, to the, dece to the deceived. Show mercy with fear. Hating, polluted. These are, it says, defiled undergarments. So in other words, 
they've soiled their garments. That means they've messed them. You know, the human messing type of thing, okay? If I, if I can say it that way, okay? So, so they have gone so deep into this that, that it's a mess. It's a real mess. But we can show mercy with fear, trying to extol them, trying to say, come on, you got to get out of this. This, this is not just about... We, we, uh, when we uh, were involved in a church plant, uh, before we did that, uh, we were visiting a church, and we attended there for a while. It was a pastor and his wife, very nice folks. And um, I used to preach for him because he didn't like to preach. Um, I wanted to be a counselor. So uh, I remember going in one time, and they were into this stuff. They kind of turned a direction. Um, and I said, this is, this is bad stuff you're in. I don't want to name names, but... You know, name it, claim it type stuff. It was just, it was bad. It wasn't, they weren't just on the surface. I mean, they'd gone to the source of the, of the stuff. It was, it was horrible. And uh, they had books on the book table. You got to get at us. And he's like, oh, no, everything's great. Uh, so then about a year later, I got a call and he said, I am in too deep. I don't know what to do. Um, so we went and tried to help and end up the church split. And those folks that were part of that group ended up leaving, and he had a small group left. But it basically ruined his ministry. Um, they'd invested in a building. They spent every dime that they had in updating this building. And then they had no one there to, to pay their debts. Um, it was just, it was a mess. Um, and I'm not saying I'm a super smart guy. I just tried to hold it together. Fortunately, we were able to take the few people that stuck with it, and we merged them with the church that we planted, um, so we didn't lose everyone, but they, they lost everything. Um, it was just horrible because um, they, they allowed the deception uh, to just engulf the church. I mean, church splits, I mean, think about it. That's, that's like an oxymoron. That's like government intelligence, right? A church split. Just, just think about that. How, we are so committed. We are God's instrument to take it to the world. We should be loving each other where do those divisions come from among you? I, I can't think of the passage. Is that James who says that? You know, why wars and divisions among you? It, yeah, it is James chapter 4, right? Anyway, keep going here. Uh, I'll get tangential, okay? So here's a couple of takeaways. Uh, five of the seven churches in Asia Minor were called out by Jesus Christ. I mean, Paul spent years in, in Ephesus, and they lost their first love. Here are two other ones, right? Pergamos, they allowed these false teachers, okay? Thyatira, they allowed this woman Jezebel who encouraged their acts of immorality. Five of the seven that were planned. You know, it'd be nice if a church stayed true. Uh, certainly it depends on the leadership, but it also depends on the people who seek the Lord and want the truth. You've got to want the truth. If you want falseness, it's all around. It's plenty available. If you want truth, you know, we've got to seek it. We've got to say, I, I, I need truth. I need the pure milk of the word, okay? Don't be surprised by ungodliness, but study the word to show yourselves approved. Um, keep going. Okay. Encourage to grow in doctrine. We should not just be spoon-fed by the leadership here. 
we should be people. I mean, I'm not a pastor and I'm teaching you about the Word of God. Okay, it's not because I'm so smart. It's because I really want to know the Word of God. Okay, when you spend that time understanding the Word, even if you're not sure and you read some commentary, ask the pastor, hey, is this a legit commentary? Hey, I went to this website, bibleiscool.com. Uh, uh, is this, uh, you know, have they got a good word on here? We'd have to see the sources, right? Whenever I have students who write papers and they, you know, they give me a statement, I say, uh, let's look at the source of that, okay? Uh, because I'm not sure that that's a really positive source for you. Um, earnestly appeal to those who are impacted by false teaching. Mercifully reach out to them. And for us, I go back to this idea, and this is going to draw us to the communion time. Uh, Jude says, we to keep yourselves in the love of God. We are beloved because our Father has loved us. We are beloved in that he would appeal to us that the faith was so precious and so important to stay pure that he would write and say, I had to write. When was the last time you wrote or called somebody who hasn't been in church for a while? Hey, I had to write. I had to call. I want to make sure you're still with us. Not, you know... I don't care what church you go to. Are you in the faith? Have you stayed true to the word of God? Okay, We're beloved to recall his admonition uh, to keep ourselves. The admonition that false teachers will be here and judgment is coming. We are beloved to grow in assurance of our faith and to keep ourselves in the love of God. Let's, let's um, have the folks come up. Uh, we're going to do this. And when we come to this table, this table, more than anything, points to those three realities I mentioned before. Deception is prevalent everywhere. Even the apostles at around the table were arguing about who would be the greatest. Okay? Judgment has been called out for those who are ungodly. There was only one way for that judgment to be mitigated, and that was by a sacrifice that would be accepted by God. That's the only way for judgment to be averted. And then that sacrifice had to be imputed to us, as well as the righteousness of God. And this table represents God's mercy. You remember uh, Jesus, I think it was in Luke's Gospel, where he said, it is with great anticipation that I look forward to having this. Here he is, ready to give his life. They're arguing about who is the greatest. And he says, boy, I really wanted to have this, this time with you. Because he knew that this represented the only means by which they could be restored to the right relationship with him. And many of them didn't get it. I mean, Jude, Jude literally did not get it after Jesus died. He watched him. He was in his house, called him out as a crazy person, taunted him because of the things that he did. Literally did not get it. Do you think this was precious to Jude when they broke bread? Absolutely. Is this precious to us? This should be so precious to us, reminding us, not just, hey, it's communion time. God, who is rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, 4, but God, who is rich in mercy, 
please stand, if you would, a few of you over here. Please come, help yourselves to the elements. Do we need to do anything formal here? Just, just come, help yourselves here. Yeah, just please take Get that picture in your mind, I think, of John uh, chapter 13. He had all the fussing. I'm not sure even how much the um, apostles knew. But certainly they didn't understand it as Jesus began to wash feet. You heard Peter, oh, you shouldn't be washing my feet. And Jesus retorts, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part of this. And him saying, well, wash all of me. So Peter, Mr. saying, do you, do you understand what I've done? I've served you. That's what your role is in those kingdoms. I'm giving, I'm giving my life for you because it's the only way, it's the only way that the, the sovereign judgment of God does not come upon you. All have sinned, Paul would say, and fall short of the glory of God. Jesus said, this bread. You've been doing this Passover meal for years since you were children. Let me explain to you what this Passover meal means. This part of the meal, bless you, this part of the meal, we take this bread. This bread represents my body, which must be sacrificed for you. It's not the blood of bulls and goats anymore. It's the blood of a lamb, and I am bless you perfect sacrifice. I must give my life. I must have the penalty of sin placed upon me. This is my body. I give my body for your salvation. Let's partake of the bread. represents a new covenant now. 
you do not have to do the Passover anymore. I want you to do this to remember me, to remember what I've done. But your ritual, your transactional worship, your convenience, that, that's not going to pay the penalty of sin. My blood sacrifice creates a new relationship. It's a covenant where I'm signing both sides. God is doing for you freedom from sin and righteousness given. And God is also paying the penalty and agreeing to this. All you have to do is trust Him. Such grace, such marvelous mercy. God, we are unworthy. Let's drink of the cup. In the mercy of God, would you?
rescue people from the fire. Let's pull them out with soiled garments. Let's, let's dedicate ourselves to the word of God. Let's plead the blood and the mercy of God in our lives and, and be grateful for all that God has done. Come see a man. He told me everything I've ever done. He saved my soul. He gave his life for me. Won't you come? Won't you come and hear the good word of God? You need him. We can't accept goodness anymore. We cannot accept good people. They're all good people. They're all good people who are separated from God and eternal. And, oh God, have mercy on us. Forgive us for complacency in your, in your word. Help us to snatch people from the fire. Help us to encourage one another in the truth, God. If I hear my brother or sister and their words are coarse, help me to be willing to speak up to them cause them to consider where they stand. Forgive us. Cleanse us. Thank you for your sacrifice on our behalf. Go with us into this weekend, into our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you all. Have a great rest of your weekend. This podcast is a member of the Grace River Podcast Network. To listen to more of the podcasts in our network, head over to graceriverva.com slash media. We would love for you to join us in person or online on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. for our weekend worship experience. Our campus is located at 5045 Indian River Road in Virginia Beach, Virginia, or you can find us online at graceriverva.com. Grace River exists so that every generation can experience the transforming power of God in every area of their lives.